0: Good morning, friends. My name is Calissa Dodderman, and as you may know, I am the mother of a four and a half year old girl. And one of the joys of that experience is getting to introduce her to new media, specifically the songs and shows and books that were particularly formative for me as a child. Now recently, I found myself racking my brain, trying to think of something different to play for Nora in the car. And at a loss for what to listen to, I dug deep into my childhood catalog And I pulled out VeggieTales. Now the parents among you will know that the VeggieTales series is both a blessing and a curse because it's a cute way to learn about God through the magic of computer animated vegetables, but it's also stacked with songs that are appealing to children and filled with humor, but also completely impossible to get out of your head. As you may have guessed, my daughter took the VeggieTales bait and now I get a request for Silly Songs with Larry every time we go to school. At any rate, I've listened to this fun little nugget more times in the past month than I would like to admit. The bunny song is how all my employees will show just how much they love the bunny. How nothing is more important than the bunny. How they do anything for the bunny. And it goes something like this. The bunny, the bunny, whoa, I love the bunny. I don't love my mom or my dad, just the bunny. The bunny, the bunny, yeah, I love the bunny. I gave everything that I had for the bunny. Okay, I'm cutting it off here, because if we get all the way to the part with the asparagus backup singers, you will never dislodge this from your brain. Now, for some of those of you who need some context, this is a clip of the bunny song from a VeggieTales video called Rack, Shack, and Benny. It's a video retelling the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in this clip, Mr. Nezer, our King Nebuchadnezzar surrogate, is instructing Rack, Shack, and Benny that they need to start worshipping a giant chocolate bunny. So why have I brought you this particular singing cucumber today? Well, I think it gets at an important question for us. It prompts us to think about what it is that we worship. What gets our focus? How do we know what gets our attention? And is our worship or adoration directed toward the right place? These questions are right in line with the theme of our current worship series, What Are You Chasing? And while I believe they are crucial questions, I think that they are also questions that we're hesitant to engage because the answers are complicated, right? I mean, none of you have constructed a shrine to an enormous chocolate bunny in your backyards. At least I would hope not. In this heat? No. The things that compete for our actual worship are more nuanced than chocolate bunnies. And the difference between what should and shouldn't hold our admiration isn't black and white as much as we might want it to be. It's hard for us to know how much of ourselves we should pour into our jobs versus our families, versus our friendship, versus our faith or to bring it a little closer to home, today's the 4th of July. Should our attention be focused on our patriotism, on our God, on both at the same time? I won't dive too deep into that, except to say that clergy around the country are struggling a little today because we know that we have allegiances to God and to country and they require careful balancing. So what is it that you worship? It's a question central to the text that we are encountering today. You know, this summer we've been taking a closer look at the life of David through the books of 1st and 2nd Samuel. And today we are finally bridging into 2nd Samuel with a story about David and his worship of God. At the beginning of this book, Israel's King Saul has died and David who was anointed as a young man to lead the Hebrew people is finally made King. And as the new King, David has united the Northern kingdom of Israel and the Southern kingdom of Judah to form one kingdom. And in order to mark this unification, and honestly to flex his muscles a little bit, David has declared Jerusalem to be the new capital of this United Kingdom. In addition to making it the political capital, David also shows that he intends to make Jerusalem Israel's religious capital as well. And that's where we meet David today. So here are these words from 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 12 through 16. It was told King David, The Lord has blessed the household of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. David danced before the Lord with all his might. He was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. This is the good news according to 2 Samuel. Thanks be to God. So there's a lot to unpack in this story. So let's get started with some context. In the early days of Israel, worship looked different to what we might imagine given our experiences of Christian worship. So for one thing, it didn't really stay still. Central to the worship of the Hebrew people was the Ark of the Covenant. It was an elaborate gold-covered chest containing the two tablets of the Ten Commandments. If you've seen Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark, you're familiar with this. So the Ark was carried with the Hebrew people wherever they went, and as they wandered in the desert, as they crossed, into the, Jor- or crossed the Jordan into the Promised Land, as they warred with other nations, the Ark was with them. It was cumbersome, to be sure, but it was mobile, and so was God. God commanded the Hebrew people to place the ark in a tabernacle, which is essentially the world's fanciest tailgate tent, and it was designed to be portable. So as they moved from place to place, they would erect the tabernacle, place the ark in it, and God's glory and presence would fill the tabernacle like a cloud. When God's presence stayed in one place, so did the Israelites. And when God's presence moved on, the Israelites did too. So when David decides to bring the ark to Jerusalem, he's broadcasting to everyone that this is where God will live now. We even read in 2 Samuel 7 that David plans to make this move permanent and erect a temple for God in Jerusalem, something that God had honestly never asked for. More on that next week. At any rate, David has big plans for the worship of God and he is all in. How do we know? Well, look at what he does. Scripture tells us that David leads a joyous procession of the Ark as it enters into Jerusalem. There are trumpets and shouts and singing. David brings with him 30,000 Israelites. He girds himself with the linen aphod. He dances with everything he's got. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever experienced liturgical dance in worship. It can be really beautiful. But I'm thinking David's rocking something a little closer to this. Yay! Oh, and his outfit That linen aphod that we read about, it's a kind of ceremonial apron worn by priests from the house of Levi. And the fact that scripture notes that he's girded it means he's likely got it bundled up around his waist, kind of covering just his bathing suit area. Now, there's some debate about how scantily clad David actually is, but the spirit here is that there's something a little bit scandalous about what David's wearing. So actually, maybe David's dancing looks more like this. David isn't holding back at all. The text tells us that he dances with all of his might. He pours all of himself into praising God and glorifying God's name as he enters the city. Now, there's something beautiful, I think, about the way that David loses himself in praise. He sets aside his ego, which is considerable, by the way, and he just turns his whole self towards the worship of God. In his worship, David is not self-conscious. He's God-conscious, And this passage gives us an example of what it looks like to know what you're worshiping and to do it with total vulnerability and authenticity. So what's the deal with the last part of the story? If you recall, we read that as the Ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, looked out the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. So why does Michal get so upset? It's a fair question. After all, our text refers to Michal as the daughter of Saul, but she's also David's wife. And you might assume that they would be on the same page, but that's not the case here. And if we read a little bit further into chapter six, we get a sense as to why. As David returns from his worship, we are told, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants' maids, as any vulgar fellow might shamelessly uncover himself Michal is scornful, and she seems to be mostly concerned that David is making himself look ridiculous. He's flailing and dancing and singing, and it's not dignified. And don't get me started on his outfit. Michal is upset that David is making himself look bad, making her look bad. But David has the perfect comeback. He says, it was before the Lord who chose me in place of your father and all his household, by the way. It was before the Lord that I have danced. And here it is, the crux of the matter. David's rebuttal makes it clear that his worship is not about his own honor. It's not about looking good. It's not about flaunting his wealth. It's not about Israel's military might or victories in battle. Because while David might be grateful for those things, they're not the focus of his worship. God is. God, who goes with Israel, who delivers the captives, who anoints a lowly shepherd boy to lead a nation. And in the eyes of God, David can be vulnerable. He can be a bit extra, even a bit cringy, really. He doesn't need to put on airs. He just needs to love God authentically and with his whole heart. And that's the lesson we learned from David, that reaching towards God and worship doesn't mean necessarily reaching up to attain new status Rather, it can mean reaching deep into our hearts, into the things that we hold back for fear or judgment. In worship, God doesn't need you to be more than you are, but God does require you to be all that you are. In a moment, we will turn our hearts towards God and toward the communion table. And as we share the sacrament together, we will be asked to approach God with openness, confessing our sins and reconciling with one another and with God. We're asked to be vulnerable with God and each other, to honor Christ by bringing our whole selves to the table and offering all that we are to God in this moment of worship. I hope that when you experience God's grace through this holy feast today, you might be reminded of the love of God through Christ that embraces you, not despite your moments of silliness or weakness, but because of them. And I pray that nourished by the bread and the cup, you, Dunwoody United Methodist, might be the body of Christ, that fixes your eyes on Jesus and dances with all your might. May it be so. Amen.